Gear up and get ready, because we're going on the Great Adventure Bible Study with Jeff Cavins. Stick around. Let's talk about it. Houston, we have a problem. Habemus papan. Podcasting from a parking lot in the Woodlands, Texas, it's the Catholic Hack with Joe McLean. Take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body, which will be given up for you. 1 Peter 3.15 Always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope. Take this, all of you, and drink from it. This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. It will be shed for you and for all, so that sins may be forgiven. The Church of the Living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. 1 Timothy 3.15 Do this in memory of Welcome back to the Catholic Hack. I'm Joe McLean, and this is episode number 61, the first show after the one-year anniversary show, and the first show after the recent release of the St. Ignatius audio series. I think many of you have uh, availed yourself of that, and I've gotten so much great feedback and so much support. I am so appreciative. So we'll talk more about that in this episode. We also have Breaking the Bread again with Dr. Scott Hahn. But before we get to all of that, plus our fantastic interview with Jeff Cavins, let us begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, all glory and praise to you, Almighty God, forever and ever. Father, I come before you and humbly beg your, your mercy, your forgiveness over my sinfulness. I ask that you look past my iniquity and bestow your grace. I lift up this podcast to you and all of its listeners, and I beg your mercy upon each one of them. I pray that your Holy Spirit descend upon them and that you allow them to know that you are our Father. We are your child, and you love us as a child. And you draw us near and close to you. And you can't wait to reveal your love to us. So, Father, I thank you for this grace. And I seek your mercy. I also pray specifically for all those marriages that struggle. God, strengthen them. Send forth your Holy Spirit to give them grace. And reunite these divorced or separated spouses. And strengthen their hearts. Encourage the spouses to offer sacrifices for one another. Because this is what pleases you a sacrificial heart, a heart that loves like Christ your Son who died for us on the cross. This is the heart of marriage, to sacrifice. Teach us to do just this. Help us to look past our selfish ways and give of ourselves for our spouses. So I ask for this grace, Father, and your holy blessing upon this podcast today. And I pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen i got some great feedback to share with you as well, but before we do all that, let us break bread with Dr. Scott Hahn. Moses and Jesus looked out on the crowds and saw sheep without a shepherd. They asked God to send shepherds, apostles, mediators who would feed these flocks. God answered their prayer by sending you and me as a kingdom of priests. Find out more next on Breaking the Bread. The words God speaks to Israel in this week's first reading are intended for us as well. The church is the fulfillment of God's covenant promises to Israel, a kingdom of priests 
and a holy nation. In the church, we have been gathered together as the Israel of God. To borrow St. Paul's phrase, God has made us his own people, the flock that he tends, as we sing in the responsorial psalm. Moses was Israel's first shepherd. With the promised land in view, he prayed that God would raise up a successor so that God's people would not be left as sheep without a shepherd. These same words are used in this week's gospel to describe Jesus' pity for the crowds who are troubled and abandoned like sheep without a shepherd. Israel's shepherds, the Pharisees and scribes, misled the people through their hypocrisy. But God had long before promised that he himself would come and save his sheep, searching over the whole earth where they'd been scattered for lack of a shepherd. Jesus is that new Moses, the new David, the shepherd of God promised by the prophets, a divine shepherd king sent to restore God's priestly kingdom. As Moses commissioned Joshua as his successor, so we see Jesus giving the twelve his power and authority. In God's plan, they are to seek out the lost sheep of Israel first and then bring all the nations back into the fold. Together we have been saved and reconciled to God. As God delivered Israel, he has also made us a kingdom of priests in the church. So we come to the Mass as his sons and daughters to serve our Heavenly Father with gladness, to praise his kindness, because it endures forever. This is Scott Hahn for Breaking the Bread. Breaking the Bread is a production of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. If you'd like to receive written copies of Dr. Hahn's reflections on the Sunday Mass readings, you can contact us by email at staff at salvationhistory.com or call us at 740-264-9535. That's 740-264-9535. Well, if you don't know about today's guest, Jeff Cavins, Boy, where have you been? You have really been missing out. Jeff Cavins is a phenomenal Bible teacher in today's Catholic Church. He is really a jewel, and I cannot wait to share this interview with you. He has been an inspiration to me and to thousands and thousands of others who have tried to dive deep into Scripture and really learn their faith. And Jeff's own journey in his walk with Christ has been an inspiration to countless people as well. So, without further ado, let's roll up our sleeves and let's dive deep and get into the truth about the amazing Bible scripture study with Jeff Cavins. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! This school when I sit, even just a little bit, I get hit with the power that made the veil in the temple split. When I submit, fall on the floor and the door. Can't get enough, got to come back for some Welcome back to the Catholic Hack. I'm Joe McLean, and today my special guest is Jeff Cavins. Jeff is recognized both nationally and internationally as an exciting public speaker 
who has a deep love for Jesus Christ and who communicates it with zeal and clarity and enthusiasm. After 12 years as a Protestant pastor, Jeff returned to the Catholic Church under the guidance of Bishop Paul Dudley. Over the past several years, Jeff developed the extremely useful and practical interactive Bible study system called The Great Adventure. Jeff received his master's in theology from Franciscan University of Steubenville with catechetical certification. He received a B.A. with honors in humanities from Antioch University in Yellow Springs, Ohio, and he received Bible training from Christ for the Nations Institute in Dallas, Texas, as well as the Institute of Ministry in Bradenton, Florida. Jeff produced and hosted Life on the Rock, a live talk show for young adults on EWTN for six years. And he was most recently with Relevant Radio and hosted a nationally broadcast live morning drive time show called Morning Air, Monday through Friday. Jeff and his wife Emily reside in Minnesota with their three daughters. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Joe. It's good to be with you. Jeff, I cannot begin to tell you how much of a, an impact you've had on my own faith journey when I first was going through my own conversion to the Catholic faith. Uh, when I had discovered, you know, people like Scott Hahn, I, then I quickly discovered a, a video series that you had done on EWTN with Dr. Hahn, and that really helped to open my eyes to sacred scripture. And so, and then I caught wind of your conversion story, and I felt that, that was just so inspirational. And then I discovered that you, you had come out with a great adventure Bible study. So you've done a, a, a tremendous amount of work in helping guys like me really come to understand how deep and how beautiful sacred scripture really is. And as a Protestant convert from the Church of Christ, that really was meaningful. You know, the scripture oh. has such a, an emphasis on, uh, on Protestants like me coming into the Catholic faith. So it really was very impactful. So I, I want to just begin by saying thank you for your, your body of work, for the, uh, the effort that you've put into our faith and in helping people out like me. Well, I appreciate it, uh, Joe, and it's been a pleasure to uh, to be a part of the new evangelization and to create uh, to create studies like Our Father's Plan and the Great Adventure, and and it's always a privilege to share your your testimony of what Christ has done in your life, and that's one of the one of the thrills of following the Lord is that your life changes and you get to share it with others, and then you see other other lives change, and so I can say the same thing too about those that uh, that I, I read and listened to before I made that decision to become Catholic too. Can we can we talk about that for a minute? I want to hear from the horse's mouth about your journey. I, I really felt it was a, a touching story, and I'd love to, for you to to share that with us. Well, my story is um, is uh, really the story of an average American Catholic boy growing up in the Midwest, Minneapolis, in um, an average American Catholic home. We went to mass every week. We never missed. You know, I can only remember a couple times growing up because of illness, not going to mass. I went to uh, communion uh, every week, went to uh, confession three or four times a year, feast days. But uh, like so many in my generation, I, um, I, am, uh, I grew up in the, in the 60s, in the 70s, and um, I didn't really know a whole lot about my faith. Hmm. So by the time I was about 18 years old, 17, 18 years old, I was asking big questions about life, you know, what, um, what's it all about, and uh, what's the purpose of life, where am I going, and the meaning, and I didn't really have any answers, at least from the Catholic Church. Um, not that there weren't answers there. I just was part of an era where um, being catechized was a kind of a poor thing, mm -hmm. at least in my, my experience. So I started 
searching and I started doing a lot of reading with Eastern religions, uh, the Bhagavad Gita, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, mm. Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, and a whole <laughs> bunch of other books at that time. Huh. And uh, and oddly enough, I was spending uh, a couple nights a week sitting up in the balcony of our local Catholic church, staring at uh, what, what was the tabernacle. Didn't even know what was in the tabernacle or what, what, what it really meant. Mm. But I was asking God to reveal himself to me. And um, uh, I was burning candles in my room because as a good Catholic boy growing up, I thought God uh, God paid attention to candles, you know. <laughs> he looked down to see a candle in that young man's room, and God said, okay, I see you. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I didn't really know anything. But then in my, my freshman year of college, everything changed. Uh, it was in my second semester. I was editor of the paper. And uh, the class was cultural anthropology, and a young lady walked in that first day, and she caught my attention. She was uh, not only a beautiful young lady, but there was something about her, just a confidence that uh, that she uh, that that she demonstrated, and and I eventually got to know her. And um, uh, she was an, an evangelical and very strong Christian, and uh, ended up uh, talking her into going out with me. And on that first date, she started talking to me about God and uh, hmm. talking to me about. Uh, being born again, being saved, and, and even things like speaking in tongues, which I had never heard of before <laughs> in my life. And um, to make a long story short, I I was um, I was fascinated by her testimony. You know, it's not many many times you walk you, that you meet somebody who um, really knows who they are and they're confident and they know God. And so every day after after school, I would go over to her house and I would sit down at the kitchen table with her mother and um, her. And they would open up a Bible, an old blue Schofield Bible, and they would tell me about this this relationship that they had with God. And that that seemed to be what I was looking for. Mm. And uh, so um, just a number of weeks later, I was driving home from their house after having heard them uh, for several weeks. And I pulled over on the side of the road, and I, I asked Jesus into my life uh, according to the way they you know, they were teaching me. Mm. And I said, Jesus, I want what they have. I want what the Toblers have. That, that was their last name. And and uh, that night, uh, in February of 1977, I knew that, that something had happened to me. Now, I, I, I didn't know what that meant in relationship to my baptism at that point, uh, which I now know as uh, saying yes to my baptismal promises and stepping up to the plate and saying, okay, Lord, I really will follow you now. Mm. I kind of took it as something brand new had happened. Yeah. And, um, but I did know that night, interestingly enough, that I would be spending the rest of my life uh, teaching Scripture. I don't know why. I just had this knowing in my knower that I was going to be telling people about Jesus the rest of my life. And I came wow. home that night very, very excited and found, uh, found out that my parents were not very excited mm. about this. And I can understand now, and it probably seemed pretty foreign to them. And I probably had a little bit of an attitude of, uh, you know, why didn't you guys tell me this, and you need what I have now? Uh, and a rift really began to develop between my parents and myself. And then as I continued going to these churches that Emily, this young lady, um, was bringing me to, uh, I, I started getting more and more involved in Bible studies, and I, I started looking you know, toward my future, what I was going to do, and I chose to go to a Bible college in Texas. And uh, that didn't it didn't sit real well with my dad, particularly. Mm. And I remember the night before I left, in August of 1977, it was right about that time that Elvis Presley died. Huh. And um, I um, was getting ready to leave the next day, and my dad came up to my room, 
and he asked me what all this was about. By this time, Emily and I were actually engaged, and um, uh, I told him that I wanted to you know, give my life to Christ and, and study Scripture and teach. And uh, it didn't it didn't um, square with him that I was Catholic and I'd be going to this Protestant school. And to make a long story short, we got into a kind of an altercation that night, and I ended up on the floor. Oh. <laughs> I, my dad was quite angry with me, and uh, and that's the way I left home the next day. Wow. I went to Bible college, and uh, when I was done with Bible college, I went through radio and, and television broadcasting school, ended up in broadcasting, and um, uh, ended up in Valley City, North Dakota. And a short time after that, I left the Catholic Church in mm. rather dramatic fashion. I yelled at a bishop publicly and told him <laughs> I'd had it. I'd had it with the Catholic Church. Uh, but the next day, he um, he met me, and he gave me kind of a prophetic word that he said, mark my words, he said, one day you'll return to the church, and you will teach your people. And uh, mm. I said, I don't think so. <laughs> shook his hand and left, and that's how I left the church, much to my parents' chagrin. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> that must have given you a, a little bit of a chill there to hear the bishop say that when years later when you were coming back did you recall was that fresh in your mind or it was very fresh yeah as i revisited that meeting with the bishop i, I recalled him saying that mm. and um yeah and it, and it did have a, it did have an impact on me of course i didn't return to the church for um about 15 years mm. after that and during that 15 years i was an associate for a couple and then I was um, I was ordained, and I became a pastor. And for twelve years, I pastored two churches. Uh, what seven years? In, well, the, you know, the, the, I started with the Assembly of God in the Open Bible, but the churches that I pastored were independent community churches. Mm. Uh, seven years in Minneapolis and five in Dayton, Ohio. Wow! And um, they were wonderful years, and I owe a lot to my Protestant brothers and sisters who who uh, shared with me a zeal for Scripture. Uh, enthusiasm for evangelizing and opening up your home mm. and uh, praying for one another. These were things that I was not accustomed to as a Catholic. Right. I didn't see this in my own family or in anybody else. And um, the long and short is I ended, up, I ended up studying my way back into the Catholic Church by looking at the Church Fathers and seeing the organization and the major, the major um, doctrinal issues that the early Church um, embraced. And uh, that was a challenge to me, as I realized in about my uh, my ninth year of being a pastor, that the church that I was pastoring literally didn't look anything like the early church. Yeah. And that brought about a little bit of a crisis of faith. And the major issues that really brought me back were um, the Eucharist, number one, mm. um, and uh, the sacraments, the papacy, mm. uh, the blessed the Blessed Mother. Uh, as the queen of the kingdom, the queen mother. And uh, I put all these together, and I guess, uh, Joe, you could consider it like a jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> uh, a jigsaw puzzle, there's a lot of pieces, but when what do you do when you first want to put together a jigsaw puzzle? You, right. you, you go for the edges. You frame it. Mm -hmm. And um, I realized in my studies that I was, I was studying the frame here of the puzzle of my life, and I was looking at the big picture, and when the papacy and the Eucharist and the Blessed Mother and the sacraments and the tradition, the liturgical year, all came together, I realized uh, this, is, this is really a complete picture here. And then over the years after that, you just begin to fill in a lot of the, a lot of the details, and it just makes more sense the older you get, the, the more you study. Uh, and for me now, it's been um, 
about 13 years that I've been back in the church, and I'm still filling in more pieces to the puzzle, but I, I, I certainly see more today than I did uh, 13 years ago, and it's just wonderful. Did you have a vocational crisis? I mean, you were a pastor, so uh, were you having to um, overcome this fear of, okay, well, well, what will I do for a living if I go, go back <laughs> to the church? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I was in my 30s and I had a family, and I was um, yeah, right. told by Bishop Paul Dudley that I want you to go back to school. And so all of my friends have houses and yeah. cars, and they're starting to fill up their 401ks, and I'm giving up everything at that point and <laughs> feeling like I'm going back to square one. But, um, you know, I, I think there's only one thing that could have uh, made me do it, and that was the Eucharist. Mm. If the Eucharist is what we say it is as a church, it's the very body and blood of Christ, then what in the, what in the world could possibly come before that? Um, that is, that becomes the most valuable, most precious thing on earth. Mm. And so no job, no amount of money, no homes and lake homes and things like that, nothing is, uh, uh, can be compared to the Eucharist. So I was willing to make that, 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 uh, that step of mm. faith. And I, I knew, I knew after walking with God for all of those years that he was faithful and, um, he, he would watch out for me. He would care for me. And he always has, he's never let me down. Mm. I let myself down sometimes, but he never <laughs> lets me down ever. And, uh, and I trust him and he's my father mm. and he's not going to leave me stranded. So once again, God, God has been faithful. Now, how about your wife at the time you were you were going through this? Was she on the same journey as you? She wasn't at first. In fact, she resisted at first. She didn't want anything to do with the Catholic Church. Wow. And you have to understand why. Um, to to grow up Catholic and return is one thing. To grow up Methodist or Baptist and then think about becoming Catholic is kind of like um, <laughs> somebody of Italian descent saying, well, from now on, I'm Scandinavian. Right. <laughs> and it, it, it's not just... It's, a, it's not just saying, I'm going to go to this other church. It's a whole new way of looking at life. Yeah. And so that was difficult for her at first. And, and I decided at the beginning I wasn't going to argue with her, and this wasn't going to be a point of division. Um, I just asked her to be honest in her study, and I gave her a catechism and a few books. I said, please, just study it and tell me what you think. And uh, within a, a number of months, she, she came to say, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing this, mm. even though she still struggled with a few things. But... It was about a year after after I came in that she ended up coming into the church at Steubenville mm. at Franciscan University, along with our daughter, who um, at that time was about uh, about 10 years old. Was there anybody in particular that started you on the journey back to the faith, or did you find the early church fathers all on your own, and then, and then it was just one thing that led to another? Or were there any particular individuals or books or, or anything mm-hmm. that, uh, that sort of um, started the ball rolling back towards Rome? Yeah, I, you know, when I started this, uh, this journey back into the Catholic Church, I, um, I didn't have anybody as an example at all. Um, uh, for me, it was very lonely. I, I I didn't know Scott Hahn at the time. I didn't know Steve Wood. I didn't know Marcus Grote. I I didn't know Thomas Howard. Uh, I thought that I was an oddity. Um, that I didn't know if anybody did this. If mm-hmm. anybody went from being a minister to a Catholic. So my studies were pretty much the early church fathers. Mm-hmm. And then um, w- once I started becoming convinced that I was I was at least going to go back into a liturgical church, whether it be the Episcopalian Church, Anglican, or or you know, I didn't really entertain Catholic at that point. Right. Uh, I did pick up a book. I picked up a book in um, at a meeting with a bishop in Kansas City, 
where I was being interviewed to become an Episcopalian priest. Mm. And that book was by Thomas Howard called Evangelical is Not Enough. And I picked it up and he was, he was laying out the edges of the puzzle right there in the book. And I was agreeing with him and I was, ex- I was excited until I came to the end of the book when he <laughs> mentioned that he had since become Roman Catholic. Oh. And so that was the first time I had heard of anybody doing that. And uh, I ended up calling him, and he told me about Scott and told me about Marcus. And I eventually talked to them, and they were the first ones that I really talked to that I mm. could identify with. I but no, the first year was um, alone with my books, studying, and um, yeah. scared. Did your wife encounter any uh, negative reaction from her own family? You know, when I first told my mother-in-law that I was going to become Catholic, she was um, shaken mm. at first. She was studying to be a Methodist minister at the time. Really? Yeah, and, and it shook her. And I think it shook her because she realized that there was a chance that her daughter might become Catholic. Mm. And that was, once again, a foreign concept. Um, I think in, in a situation like that, you have to be gentle. Uh, you can't be triumphalistic. Mm. And you have to understand where other people are coming from. They don't see what you see. Right. And so you have to be patient. And so I was. And uh, eventually, yeah, she came around. And um, uh, and today now it's it's not a problem. In fact, I usually for Christmas she buys me a book about the Pope or something. No kidding. Oh, praise God for that. Did you ever share the early church fathers with your uh, you, the, the members in your congregation? I mean, how, I did. how were they dealing with your transition? I assume that you probably weren't talking about it publicly, or were you? No, I wasn't talking about it publicly when I was no. studying, but it was coming out in my sermons. Yeah. And uh, our church was slowly becoming more liturgical, and uh, I was drawing from the church fathers. Mm. And when I finally made the decision, I, I gave a one-hour defense to the entire church with why I was becoming Catholic. It was quite an emotional evening to, to say goodbye to my... I loved, you know, friends I love so much, and to at the same time give a defense of the faith. Um, it was very tough, and you know, I was their pastor. They mm-hmm. weren't accustomed to arguing with me. <laughs> They're not accustomed to challenging me, and right. I, I begged the elders to challenge me, and I literally begged them, talk me out of this. Yeah. And I even talked to a couple scholars around the country and said, talk me out of this. Tell me where I'm wrong here. Wow. And uh, nobody could punch a hole in the arguments. Of course, they weren't mine. They were the churches. Right. And um, after I ended up leaving, um, I think I had seven elders, and um, two of them became Catholic after I left, and a mm. number of the people in the congregation became Catholic after that. Wow. So I, after that, I really didn't have a lot of contact with the people, and I, I think part of that was just out of respect for the elders there. They didn't want me necessarily hanging around and right. um, ruining things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure that's a very delicate situation, and I can truly appreciate that, but I'm willing to bet there's pl- uh, plenty of seeds planted there. I mean, it must rock their world to to see their their pastor leaving for the Catholic Church. That was a debate point between my father and I when I was becoming Catholic, and I'd sent him the conversion story of Scott Hahn on tape, and, and he sent it back saying, Thousands are leaving the Catholic Church, you know, and uh, one pastor doesn't matter. But, um, you know, I- I'm sure it really has a, a dramatic impact to uh, to have your pastor leave for, for Rome. So um, I can appreciate how delicate that situation really was. So you, you're, you're back into the Catholic faith. 
you're going to school now. I mean, your wife at that point wasn't even Catholic. How, how did she feel about you going to school? Did she want you to find a job? I mean, that must have been a very difficult situation as well. Well, you know, my wife Emily is is an extraordinary person, and um, she she underst- she understands me in that when I make up my mind about something, mm-hmm. I'm two things. I'm going to be I'm going to be patient and gentle with her. But the uh, odds of me turning around are not very good. <laughs> yeah. uh, once I've studied something and I start moving in a direction, um, she knew she saw that look in my my eyes, and she knew. She, and I'm taking this from her testimony now. Right. She said, "I saw that look in your eyes," and she said, "I knew there was no point in arguing. Mm-hmm. That this was something you've thought out, and you're going to do it." And uh, so she's always been very, very beautiful, you know, that way. And. Uh, in this in this case, not always. I don't always make the right decision, but in this case, uh, I made the right decision, and the whole family came in with me, and and it has made the biggest difference in our lives of anything that we've we've ever done wow. is is coming back to the Catholic Church, and of course having our, our three beautiful daughters is is, an, is another right. Now what, you've developed this this knack for really being able to break Scripture down and make it accessible for the average lay lay person. For me, I grew up in the Church of Christ, and I can recall as a as a kid sitting in Sunday school and, and hearing them talk about the Old Testament in particular, and I just remember it never made any sense to me. And I just remember that it, it felt so devoid, like the it felt so... Um, separate from the New Testament, that they weren't related at all. And and that was the notion that stayed with me into my teenage years and then when I became an adult. And, and it wasn't until Our Father's Plan and in your, in your work that uh, in Dr. Scott Hahn that I really came to understand how perfect the Bible was, how much it fit together, how wonderful and deep and vast and and just how exciting uh, Scripture really became for me. I mean, the pages of the New Testament danced with excitement when I could really go back to the Old Testament and pull out their context. So you've, you've really developed this knack of, of being able to do that for folks. I, was that something you felt called to? I mean, did you, did you have to make that choice, or is that just something that developed over the years? Well, no, I think... Um... You know, when I was younger, uh, I get you're talking really about the subject of simplicity mm-hmm. and uh, making the complex simple. Uh, when I was younger, uh, that was actually a fascination with mine, not not as it relates to the faith, but just in life. That um, I was always interested in simplicity, and I was always interested in trying to figure things out. So when I came to the Bible, it was a big nut to crack, and uh, I I tried. I was thinking all the time. My my mother used to call me the thinker growing up, but I was thinking all the time of how how do you get your arms around this great big story? Mm. So um, I was also interest, very interested in education and in educational theory and uh, how do, how do you learn? So I just started taking a lot of these things and putting them together. And um, and actually one day just this idea came: why not see the story? Why not see it and never mm. and carry something around like a small chart that I can just see where I'm at in any book of the Bible. Because I was aware that there's a story in the Bible, but most people can't bring that out mm. and uh, because it's just too complex. So, yeah, I've, I think I've always been interested in making the complex simple, partly because I'm simple. <laughs> and I, um, 
I'm not a big scholar, and I, I um, uh, but I can understand what they're saying. Right. Uh, and I think my call in life is to break that down into to let the average person see the beauty of this magnificent kingdom. You know, a lot of f- folks always you okay. We, where do you start in the Bible? Where should we start in the New Testament or in the Old? And I think almost everybody I've encountered anyway always says start with the New Testament, and it, like especially with our kids. We, you know, re, if you're going to read, start with the New Testament, and then we'll read the Old Testament later. And I, I'm not sure that's a great idea. I mean, it's nice to talk about uh, Jesus and the Gospels and, and and to really you know get our base there. But I think we're missing something with the Old Testament, you know, that uh, that we're just going to let go. And it, we're just, there's a big void there. And I've seen this. For example, I encountered a gentleman at a retreat last year. It was during Lent last year. And he told me, well, I want my daughters to really understand the New Testament before they go off to college. I said, well, what about the Old Testament? No, I don't want them to focus on that. It's too convoluted. It's too confusing. <laughs> We're just going to well, focus on the New Testament. Well, it's you know it's it's not really a matter of uh, old or new first. Um, it's I think it's both because the church puts such a an emphasis on the Gospels. You know, Pope John Paul II read the Gospel of John almost every month. Um, mm. He just constantly fed himself on the Gospel of John, and um, we are told to to you know live in the Gospels. So reading the Gospels is always a good thing to do. And, but your understanding of the Gospels will only grow as you, as you develop a, uh, a knowledge of the entire history of salvation from Genesis on. So I think it's a project, really, to be honest with you, of, of starting to learn to read the Bible as a, as a story, as a narrative, and then um, bouncing around and learning different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but starting your structure, starting that basic structure, which is what the Great Adventure does. It gives people the basic structure for understanding the greatest story ever. And at the same time, you know, certain people are going to be reading the Gospels more, or the Old Testament more, or Proverbs more, or the or Paul's epistles. They're they're going to be attracted to that. But having a general grasp is where to really, I think, to begin. And that's what we do with uh, by dividing the Bible up into twelve periods, and then out of the seventy-three books, choosing the fourteen that are narrative mm-hmm. in approach. And that's what our Bible timeline is all about. So that's where we say start there, and then you can get as detailed as you want to um, as you as you continue to as you continue to grow with children children like to learn the basic big stories of salvation history that's what the creed is about mm. uh, saint augustine used to do this with his new students he would give them the big big picture you know the mountaintop experiences that's a good place for the, for the kids there are some areas of the bible that uh, are, are age appropriate uh, kids uh, would, would come into uh, some of the stories and might have questions you yeah. know um, of uh, of what's going on, Genesis 38, others. Um, so I think that keeping kids into the big picture and how it relates to Christ when they're young, um, let them let them grow into the story themselves too. Mm. Now, in your adventure Bible study series, you have um, a device that helps helps the the studier to sort of grasp the timeline. Can you talk about that? How did you develop that? Where did you get that idea? Well, I got the idea. I don't know where I got the idea. <laughs> I was just sitting. I was sitting outside of a Hebrew class at the University of Minnesota. I think it was 1984, and I was thinking of ways of trying to communicate this story. And I, I had actually received a two-tape set by a great evangelical scholar, William Sanford Lesore, two tapes on salvation history, which was really, really a 
uh, it was a real kind of a crude walk through the entire story using archaeology and mm. and history books and things. But it fascinated me, and I thought, wow, I'd love to know this whole story. And and that's when the visual part came to my my mind, at least, and, and that was in '84. And and I I went right away to a, a butcher shop and got some big uh, six feet of paper for a quarter and went home and started laying out a chart. Mm. And that chart is uh, is a little bit different than what you see today in the Great Adventure. It's developed over the years, but that was the beginning. And I started teaching it in my local church, and found that other people were, were like me. They were visual, and they yeah. really appreciated it. But that's that's where it it began. And um, I didn't come up with my own periods. The periods that I chose were periods that scholars have been using for years. I just put it down on paper in a simple way. Timeline charts are not new. But most timeline charts are very um, uh, non-user friendly. Yeah. It's just too much. It's just too much on there. There's no context, no storyline. Uh, it's, it's not something they can grasp. So I wanted it to be simple, and I wanted mm. to tell the story. And uh, and it's also one of the uh, one of the criticisms I get because some people say, well, well it sounds evangelical. Uh, well, telling the story, I don't, if, if telling this telling the story is evangelical, then praise the Lord, I guess. Right. Um, right. But yeah. it's very Catholic too. Yeah. <laughs> you need the story. Yeah. Well, you know, it was a Catholic book before it was Protestant, just so you know. <laughs> but, you know, but um, yeah, it really is um, a great course, and it's just doing very well. I mean, how ma- how many parishes are you in right now? We're in uh, about twenty three hundred wow. parishes wow. around That's the country, fantastic. and I have in the Minneapolis area about I have about uh, six thousand students. Really. Wow, mm-hmm. that's just wonderful. I think a Bible study like this will will absolutely make a change in our American Catholic Church. Uh, one that I think is desperately needed is this new evangelization that that you spoke of earlier that Pope John Paul called for that I think is really going to make a difference. It's solid, it's really good. It gives the uh the average layman um, an ability to carry on a conversation with their with their evangelical neighbors now about sacred scripture. I mean, could you imagine that? We, when's the last time we've we've seen that happen? And and <laughs> and that's exactly what we can do now. And you know, we 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 don't have to be scared of our coworkers catching us off guard with verses anymore that we're just not prepared to uh, to answer. You know, and, and we realize the beauty of our Catholic faith, and that's because of your work and what you're doing. So, uh, once again, thank you for that. That's exactly what this podcast is trying to support and trying to get the word out out there about. Well, I appreciate it. So, what's on the horizon now? What What are you currently working on? Well, we're developing uh, special conferences called "Called to Lead." Mm. Three of them coming up in 2008, and uh, one in Metuchen, New Jersey. In uh, on July 11th and 12th, Chicago, November 7th and 8th, in Minneapolis, uh, December 5th and 6th, and these conferences are are geared towards nurturing and teaching and um, uh, educating leaders how to put Bible studies on, how to facilitate small groups and and things like that. So um, people can find out more information at www.calledtolead.com. Mm. That's calledtolead.com. And, uh, and there's also a lot of other information on my other two sites. One is just jeffcavens.com, and the other is um, greatadventureonline.com, which gives you all of our studies. Yeah. So that's what's uh, coming up ahead, and I'm just plugging away, and I've never enjoyed life more, and I've been <laughs> enjoying it right now. Yeah. What about- I'm, a, I, I'm a happy man. That's good. Let's uh, let's keep that going. Let, what about your books? Now, you are a co-editor of an Amazing Grace series of books. Talk about those. What are those about? 
Well, those are those are just books that um, that take certain topics like mothers, fathers, suffering, and what we do is we draw on people's testimonies of how God's grace has come into their life in that particular area. Mm. And it started with Amazing Grace for Those Who Suffer, and now we have Amazing Grace for Mothers, Fathers, Families, Married Couples, The Catholic Heart. Um, so we have, a, we have a number of them out. And they're, they're, it's like, kind of like Chicken Soup for the Soul, but Catholic. Yeah. And uh, they, they have sold really, really well, because people love reading those kinds of stories. You've also... Um been in uh, Catholic for a reason one and two is that not right? Uh, no, I uh, yes, I, mean, I yeah, I wrote some articles for those two. Right, yeah, that's true. That's quite a while ago. Do you have any, about that? Do you have any other books coming up on the horizon? Um, no, I, I'm I'm working on a few that uh, uh, just putting some ideas together. Not enough to announce anything at this point, <laughs> but yeah, I'm always putting stuff together. <laughs> I'm always trying to dig for what's coming next. I want the, I want the <laughs> scoop. That's. That's totally me, but um, yeah. Yeah, I'm doing a, I'm doing a 25 page book on world history. No. Oh wow, <laughs> 25 page. That's it, huh? Oh, the the whole world's history in a nutshell. That's pretty cool. Wow. Well, you've had. Such... Well, it's, it's been great talking to you. Absolutely, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the the time that you you take and um, and the opportunity to speak to you. It's really a blessing for me and for my audience. It's it's a real treat. Uh, Jeff Cavins, The Great Adventure Bible Study Series. If you want more, please stop by the blog and uh, check out the links that I will post there to get to all of his materials, including his blog, and, uh, and you can learn more about Jeff Cavins. Jeff, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Joe. I can't wait. Feedback in five, four, three, two, one. Cue feedback. <laughs> Just about a month ago, I received an email from Stephen Blunt out in California. Now, Stephen is is originally from Pennsylvania, and Stephen emailed me asking me for some advice on uh, a decision that he has to make, a discernment that he's making. Stephen thinks he he is called to open a communal house for young men, possibly women too, to assist them, to build them up, to help form them in their walk with Christ. What a noble discernment that is just to begin with but he's really racked about this does he does he give up everything and move all the way across the country to open a communal house wow what a big decision so so i gave him some advice i told him what i've told many many people now pray boldly do not be afraid to ask god for a sign isaiah 7:14 ask god for a sign because he has one to give you he is ready to shore up your, your faith. If you only come to him, approach him like he is your father and you are his child, he is happy to shore up your faith. And so I gave him some specific pointers. I said, give God a very specific timeline. Okay, don't, uh, don't say, God, when you get around to it or if you don't mind, if you can get to it. Realize to God there is no time. God has eternity. You, however, are in a very definite timeline. So you don't have the eternity aspect to, to, to wait. So you need to give God the timeline. And I suggest seven days. And the other thing is you need to give God the very specific sign. Tell God how you wish for him to, to speak to you. Give him the sign that he can give to you that you will recognize that you will then be shored up in your faith and you will realize that you are directly connected to the Lord God Almighty. I know that sounds bold. I understand how arrogant that might seem to some people, but the truth is do it. 
do it and be amazed how your Father in Heaven is so ready to speak to you very personally and very intimately. You're not asking God for lottery numbers. You're not asking Him for the Lexus. You're asking Him to shore up your faith. You're asking Him to give you what He already wants to give you, faith. Just try it and see. Stephen tried it. And then he sent me another follow-up email and he said, Joe, I wanted to let you know how things have turned out for me as far as the question I asked you a while ago. I decided to pray boldly and ask God for a sign, like you suggested. I started praying on a Monday night. I gave God one week. The next day, I came across a new podcast, Catholic Rockers. I listened to it on Tuesday at work and Wednesday, and Wednesday they featured Critical Mass on the podcast, so I went on iTunes and downloaded two albums. I loved them. I listened to those albums in my car and on my iPod. Saturday night came. Now on Saturday, I took my car to get a new radio put in it with an MP3 jack so I could connect my iPod. I was really jamming when the song came on. My sign that I asked God for was to show me that moving back to Pennsylvania is the right thing to do. I just wanted to know that moving home was what God wanted me to do. Anyway, while I was listening to the music, the song, Walk You Home, came on. The first words in the song are, just to tell you that I love you. Is that what you need to hear right now? When I heard that, I said out loud, yes, Lord, and the song went on and on. Let me walk you home. It was as if Jesus was personally talking to me and saying, let me guide you. Stop planning. I'll do it. You just be my hands and feet. Joe, I was listening to that song, imagining Jesus talking to me, knowing that God answered my prayer. He had heard my plea. I just cried and cried. I pulled my car over and cried. I really felt God's love at that moment. I got my sign. My prayer was answered. On top of having my prayer answered, God really became real to me in a way I just don't have the words to describe. Thank you so much. Your advice was right on. Thanks. God bless you in all that you do, Stephen Blunt. Wow. See what I'm saying? (laughs) I had to share that. That was so powerful. Well, as many of you know already, I produced a series of audio narrations of the seven epistles of St. Ignatius of Antioch. St. Ignatius was born in 50 AD in Syria, and he, he was martyred in Rome, fed to the wild beasts in front of the spectators in about 107 AD. And on his way, he was being led there in chains by by these Roman soldiers. And on his way, he stopped at a few different locations. And one of those locations, many of the faithful bishops came to see him. And and, uh, he got to fellowship with them. And he wrote these seven letters and distributed these letters through these, these other Christians. And they took them to the intended churches and the intended communities. And he exhorted them many, many times to hold fast to the bishops, to the priests, to the deacons, to the real doctrine of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, to the virginity of our Blessed Lady, and so many others. These are wonderful jewels. If you've never read them, if you've never even encountered them or know that they've ever existed, I highly encourage you to check out my project, The 
St. Ignatius audio series. You can do that on my blog at www.catholichack.com. I really feel this will be a wonderful way to share the faith with countless many. Several of you have already also offered donations toward the project. You know, I can't thank you enough for your support. It really is uh, very critical for me right now. Because I see this project reaching a wide audience. I really want it to reach a wide audience. And in order to do that, I need to get onto a CD distribution. Although many, many people, you know, are very familiar and use the internet in their daily lives, there are still so many more who don't. Non-Catholics even, who might not ever come across this material simply because they're never going to go near a Catholic website. But if we have a CD distribution model, people can hand a CD off to people. You know, people who don't normally live and breathe the internet like you and I do. There's so many folks of all ages and of all walks who we can reach by getting to that next level in CD distribution. And that's what your funds will really go and help me to accomplish. So I highly encourage you, if you have been benefited by this project, if you feel that this project is a worthy cause, then I, I want to ask you, I'm pleading with you, please consider donating to this project today. You can do that by clicking on the link off the blog, www.catholichack.com. Go to the St. Ignatius link, the banner at the top. Click on that. That'll take you to the main site there, and there you can make a donation. I sincerely appreciate all that you do. Your generosity is overwhelming, so thank you very much. Well, in just a few days from now, we're going to be at the Catholic New Media Celebration out in Atlanta, Georgia, put on by the good folks over at SQPN. I can't wait to to meet you there and the other podcasters. Don't forget, I'm bringing my Bible with me because I want your signature in that Bible. So please walk up to me and introduce yourself and do me the honor of signing my Bible. I would greatly appreciate that. Well, that's going to do it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Jeff Cavins. And I would really love to hear back from you. So please do me a favor. Give me a call right now on the voicemail feedback line and let me know what you thought at 713-568-6277. That's 713-568-6277. Well, until next time, I'm praying for you. Please pray for me. May God richly bless you. God bless. SQPN. The best in Catholic podcasting.